A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we've got a great revenge story against the landlord's brother. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, my experience with racist neighbors. The year was 2000, Nigeria. My father had just gotten the opportunity to relocate his entire family, which included myself, my mother, and my two siblings, to an international country of his choice. As the company he worked for had provided the opportunity for some members of their staff seeing as they were extending their base of operations, and they made a strategic move to shift their headquarters from Nigeria. It was a really big move for our entire family, as we were going to be leaving behind everything and everyone we knew. But my father was 100% ready for this big move, for his sake and for the sake of his family. It really took a lot out of our family, the move that is, because for one, at this time, both my parents just had our last born, Charlene, and completely relocating was going to be quite a hassle, but we did it anyways. Little did we know what was waiting for us the moment we did. My story, as unbelievable as it may seem, was one of negative racial reactions my parents and my siblings received when we moved out of our continent. And to my greatest shock, I was thinking that the rate at which our family was being racially stigmatized by the other people in the community and in general would reduce over the course of time, and even after racial equality had been given the attention it deserved, there were still some instances where things got a little bit out of hand and I just could not stand by and watch what happened to my father and our family. When we had just initially arrived a few years ago, repeat itself with myself and my family. This was what led me to take the drastic and risky step I did in order to solidify my family's place and not be hashed out because of our race. It all started when we arrived in this country. I do not want to make mention of the name of the country we moved into because of personal reasons. Upon our arrival, we got a hotel room for the week first, as my father still had some documentations to put in place and settle before we moved into the company house provided for our family. It was a really busy, long, and exhausting week for both my father and every other member of our family, but soon, the week soon came to an end, and we had finally completed all due processes required for us to live legally. The house we moved into was one amongst many others in an estate. It must have been quite a distinguished and proper estate, as the moment we moved in, some of the other neighbors in the estate came on over to our place the evening we moved into the house as a means to welcome us. Some even brought gifts, some quite expensive gifts I might add, while others came only with their well wishes. My parents, still grateful to everyone in the neighborhood, gracefully welcomed them into our home and they humbled his invitation all except one, the neighbor living closest to our house, a middle-aged woman in her late 40s, Mrs. Westgate. She was the only widow in the entire neighborhood, and she obviously did not seem to have any problems with anyone else in the estate except one other family, and little did we know that we were already added to the list, and it was only later on that we realized that the one thing my family and the other family have in common was the fact that we were both Africans, or blacks, as they have unanimously dubbed us. My parents tried their possible best to build as little rapport as possible with her, but at every turn, she always found a fault in everything my family did. At the very least, I could surmise that she found our very existence vulgar, repulsive, and not worth it, 
as said by her to another neighbor of ours when she was discussing some matters to my mom. She was friendly with everyone else on the street for the only reason they were of the same racial background as she was. I honestly began to feel irritated by her character and actions. In the entirety of the estate, she was the only one that apparently was displaying racially degrading and offensive actions. However, there was the one incident that just took things to a whole different level. It happened a few years later after we'd moved in. Our second youngest David was just turning 10 and he and myself devised a plan to hold a garage sale in an attempt to gather enough money to buy a gift for our youngest on her birthday that was coming up in a few weeks. Our goal was to raise just enough money by selling some of our unusables that were valuable to people in the estate and our parents supported the idea. They even helped us get a permit from the estate's management, as apparently we needed one, and in less than two days, we had almost gathered all that we needed until Mrs. Westgate stumbled upon what we were doing. She came over to where we were, and she began asking us what we were doing. After taking a moment to explain things to her, she reluctantly let us be after we had shown her the permit we had. She then asked to see some of the things we had, and while my brother reached into the next box to bring one of our mother's old handheld hair blowers, she immediately reacted as she shouted at the top of her lungs while running home. We don't know what happened at the time until about a few minutes later when the police arrived on our property. They immediately restrained my brother and I, and they immediately began searching what we were selling. I was still confused because I had no idea what was going on. At this point, my parents came outside to see what was going on and why the police were here. After calmly talking to the officers, they apologized and calmly let us go. I was still confused because I didn't know what was happening still. After we got inside, my father asked what happened and I explained everything to him, only for him to explain to me that the neighbor, Mrs. Westgate, called the police that two black kids pulled out a gun on her and were about to shoot her. I was really flabbergasted as this was really one of the most absurd things I've ever heard an adult do. Ever since that day, I vowed that I would not tolerate any racist behaviors against any member of my family, because apparently they warned my father not to push charges, as things would not go so well for our side. It really hit my father real good, knowing that something wrong was done to his children, and there seemed to be nothing he could do. I, on the other hand, was determined never to let this incident repeat itself. And as if to prove how determined I really was, an exact incident like this had occurred, but not until later on, about 15 years later. I had already finished college, gotten a job that fetched me very close to six digits a year. It was really something I'd been dreaming of for quite some time, getting a high-paying job like this. And almost as soon as I'd secured this job, I decided to take things to the next level in my relationship with my then-girlfriend Joanne, as we'd been together in a relationship for close to two years. I decided that we should move in together, and she was in agreeance. Which was no surprise, seeing as we both loved each other, and she'd also been hinting to me about the idea of the both of us living together. After less than three years of living together and getting life together, I steeled my resolve to pop the question that would determine my life from then on out. I decided to ask her to marry me. I wanted to make my proposal really special, and so I took her on a short two-day vacation to one of the places she'd always wanted to visit. And on the second day, while we were having our dinner brought to us, I simply brought out the ring when she was not looking, and I asked the question. And to no surprise of anyone, let alone myself, she said yes. 
However, there were some people that were showing visible disgust towards us, which ticked me off in a different way, but I decided to pay them no attention, as today was a really special day for both myself and my now fiancé, and the moment our short vacation was done, we went back home, broke the news to both of our families, and took the next step in getting ourselves a home for our new family. The only place, according to our agent, that was available was a house situated in a neighborhood, similar to the one my parents got when they first came to the country. And I was a bit skeptical at first, but my fiancé soon convinced me not to pay it any mind, as times had changed and so did people. Was she so wrong? I guess she was. Fast forward a few years after getting married, we'd already had our first two daughters and almost similar to what happened to me and my brother when we were young, this incident happened when my first daughter and firstborn child was planning on holding a garage sale of the items she no longer needed, and so did her mother. I just decided to join them as a means for our family to spend more time together, doing something together too. We had set out our garage, brought out everything we needed to sell, and while their mother and myself were doing all the heavy lifting, the children were busy with tagging everything. In such a short while, we decided to take a break and leave the children for a while before coming back. And what took us outside was voices of someone causing a ruckus. And upon getting outside, we found out that one particular neighbor that lived across the street had come over trying to take something from the garage sale without trying to pay for it. But this wasn't what caused the problem for me, as it was what she said that made me take action. My wife was a native of the country, and she didn't have the same skin color as myself and my first daughter. So I guess she took it as we were a family of all blacks, as she put it. And so she blurted out some racially offensive words saying that we were beneath her and that if she wanted something she could take it seeing as she could own us if she wanted to. This really struck a nerve and when my wife came out. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. She claimed that I kidnapped her and forced her to bear my tainted children. Thankfully, there were neighbors recording the incident as it was happening. I decided that I would not be like my father, who was somewhat intimidated and a little bit illiterate of the system. But I was not. I immediately took legal action as I could not let this stand. I had a friend that was a lawyer and an expert on cases like this. I explained the situation as it was and presented him with witnesses and evidence he needed, and he took it up from there. And after a few weeks of forth and back argument in the court, she was found guilty 
and due punishment was meted out. Within two years of serving said punishment, she was finally released. I made sure that she was made aware of the fact that I was not to be messed with, and neither are my family. You know, you don't hear too many situations of somebody who is just outwardly racist like this actually being held accountable for it. But in 2023, I'm kind of satisfied to hear that people who are still in this day and age that outwardly racist can potentially be held accountable. I mean, I don't even have to say it, but the things they said were disgusting. Shouldn't have to worry so much about what neighborhood you live in. This next story is my flip the switch revenge story. I attended Lincoln High. In the bustling halls of Lincoln High, I, Jake Mitchell, was just another face in the crowd. My high school life wasn't defined by flashy accomplishments or popularity. Rather, I was known for my quiet kindness and genuine empathy. A junior navigating the intricate social landscape, I prided myself on connecting with people from all walks of life. My infectious smile and willingness to lend a helping hand earned me friends and the respect of many within the student body. Yet, unbeknownst to me, a storm was brewing in the shadows of my seemingly idyllic high school life. Enter Kyle Reynolds, a fellow student harboring a deep-seated resentment against me. The reasons for Kyle's animosity remained shrouded in mystery, at least to me. What I could see in place of the hate veiled was a facade of false smiles and insincere gestures. While I navigated the challenges of adolescence with a genuine heart, Kyle simmered with bitterness fueled by envy and a desire for revenge. In the end, I would see that both my altruistic nature and Kyle's vendetta would lead us into a mile of distraction, testing the limits of both of our restraints and getting the whole school worked up. This is the full description of how I flipped the switch on someone who was hell-bent on having a taste of revenge on me. The first inkling of trouble came when I noticed the subtle shift in the air, the whispers that seemed to linger just out of earshot. At first, I dismissed it as the typical gossip that swirled through high school hallways, but little did I know that the storm was gathering specifically around me. Kyle Reynolds, a classmate I barely had interacted with, harbored an unexplained resentment towards me. Perhaps it was the way I effortlessly connected with others, or the friendships that seemed to gravitate toward me naturally. Whatever the reason, Kyle decided it was time to take me down a peg. It started with whispers and corners and hushed conversations that ceased when I drew near. Then came the rumors, stories so outlandish and untrue that they seemed more like fiction than anything grounded in reality. Kyle had concocted a tale of deceit, portraying me as someone entirely different, someone unworthy of the friendships I cherished. The fallout was swift and merciless. Friends I thought I could trust began to distance themselves their glances laden with doubt, the once welcoming smiles turned into skeptical stares, and the warmth of camaraderie I had taken for granted began to slip away. It was kind of hard to understand why there was a sudden shift in the way people interacted with me. To an extent, I could understand why they did it. The first thing that would come to mind when someone shows you supposed real evidence that goes totally against the character of a person you admired. I could understand why they thought the right line of action was to just dismiss my person as completely as they could, but what I could not get was Kyle's actions. Confused and hurt, I decided to confront Kyle, unaware of the elaborate plot he had woven. I approached him in the courtyard expecting a rational explanation for the sudden turn of events. 
Little did I know that this encounter would be the first step into a tangled web of deceit and betrayal that Kyle had meticulously crafted to tarnish not just my reputation, but my very sense of self. The turning point came with a humiliating twist that Kyle had carefully orchestrated during the annual school carnival. As I strolled through the crowded event, with laughter and excitement in the air, I was blissfully unaware of the storm about to break loose. Suddenly, the carnival's speakers crackled to life, and an echoing voice filled the air, announcing an unexpected event. A special performance starring yours truly. Confused, I found myself thrust into the center of attention as a spotlight illuminated my bewildered expression. The crowd erupted into laughter as embarrassing childhood photos of me, taken from the depths of my social media, were projected onto a large screen. My most awkward moments, personal anecdotes, and candid snapshots were laid bare for everyone to see. It was a meticulously crafted humiliation, and I felt the weight of betrayal sinking in as the laughter intensified. Yeah, sure, they were on the internet, but they weren't for people to see. Not this way. Devastated by the depth of Kyle's scheming, I retreated from the public eye, nursing wounds that ran deeper than mere embarrassment. The once warm and inviting hallways of Lincoln High now felt like a gauntlet of judgment and ridicule. But in the solitude of my own reflections, a spark of determination ignited. I had endured the pain of betrayal, and with it came a newfound strength. It was time to turn the tables. I immersed myself in researching Kyle's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Late nights were spent digging into his past, uncovering secrets and insecurities that he had carefully hidden from the world. I assembled a team of allies, fellow students who had also fallen victim to Kyle's manipulations, and together we forged a plan. No longer the passive target, I became the strategist, carefully plotting my revenge. The once clear line between right and wrong blurred as I delved into the art of retribution. The mission wasn't just to expose Kyle's deception, but to make him feel the weight of the consequences he had so callously imposed upon me. As I delved into the world of strategic maneuvers, I knew I couldn't face Kyle alone. The first step was to identify allies who, like me, had fallen victim to his schemes. In the quiet corners of the school, I began conversations with those who had experienced Kyle's manipulations firsthand. Shared stories emerged and a common thread of betrayal wove us together. Through careful conversations and shared experiences, I formed a friendly alliance with those who had suffered in silence. It was not like we had a common trait or something, it was just that we had to retaliate and show him for who he was. Our next move was to gather evidence of Kyle's misdeeds. Late nights turned into covert missions as we sifted through digital trails, piecing together a damning mosaic of deceit. Screenshots, messages, and testimonials were compiled, revealing a pattern of manipulation that extended far beyond my own experiences. The evidence was a double-edged sword. It not only validated my own struggle, but highlighted the extent of Kyle's deceit across various relationships. The Alliance, fueled by a collective desire for justice, grew stronger as we solidified our commitment to exposing the truth. We had in our hands a trove of incriminating material, but that was not enough. The Alliance and I devised a plan to subtly manipulate situations that would expose Kyle's true nature. It wasn't about stooping to his level, but strategically dismantling the facade he had so carefully crafted. We initiated carefully orchestrated encounters, 
creating scenarios where Kyle's true colors would emerge naturally. The goal was to plant seeds of doubt among our mutual friends, gently nudging them to question the authenticity of their connections with him. It wasn't anything serious really, the point was to build momentum till the day of total unraveling. Social gatherings and group projects became the battleground where we implemented our tactics. Casual conversations led to revelations and carefully dropped hints prompted curiosity. The once unquestioned loyalty toward Kyle began to waver as subtle inconsistencies in his behavior surfaced. The Alliance and I became architects of doubt, architects of revelation. The more we were exposed, the more our mutual friends began to question the sincerity of Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market their relationships with Kyle. It was a delicate dance of influence, a slow erosion of the trust he had so callously abused. As the web of manipulation unraveled, I observed the transformation in those around me. Friends who had once stood by Kyle began to distance themselves and whispers of the skepticism echoed through the hallways. The strategy was working and the once unassailable facade that Kyle had erected began to crumble. But even in the midst of our calculated maneuvers, I couldn't shake the realization that the line between justice and revenge was thinning. The Alliance's collective mission was to expose the truth, but as the web tightened around Kyle, I questioned whether our pursuit of justice was leading us down a path of moral compromise. The strategic maneuvers were exacting their toll, not just on Kyle, but on the very essence of the person I sought to become. As the carefully collected evidence began to accumulate, a palpable shift occurred within the social fabric of Lincoln High. Kyle's once unassailable popularity began to wane as the whispers of deceit transformed into undeniable truths. The Alliance's strategic maneuvers had worked, and the tide was turning against him. The unraveling reached its climax during a school assembly, a gathering where the student body expected routine announcements, but would leave with an unexpected revelation. Seizing the moment, I took the stage, armed not with vengeance, but with the truth. In a measured yet impassioned speech, I exposed Kyle's web of lies, revealing the orchestrated prank in the malicious rumors that had tainted my reputation. The evidence, laid bare for all to see, left no room for denial. As I spoke, a heavy silence settled over the assembly, broken only by the gasps of realization from the audience. The once popular Kyle, surrounded by an aura of adulation, now stood exposed in the harsh light of truth. The weight of his actions unveiled for everyone became an anchor dragging him down from the pedestal he had so recklessly climbed. The friends who had once hung on his every word now recoiled, distancing themselves as if tainted by association. The hallways that once echoed with his name became hushed whispers of disbelief and betrayal. Kyle, the orchestrator of schemes and master of manipulation, found himself on the fringes of social exile. The once loyal followers turned away, unwilling to stand by someone who would deceive them so profoundly. It wasn't a victory marked by triumph, but by a sobering reality. 
Kyle, stripped of his popularity and influence, was left to grapple with the consequences of his actions. As the school moved forward, Kyle became a cautionary tale, a lesson in the fickle nature of high school dynamics and the enduring power of truth even when it comes at the cost of one's own reputation. The unraveling marked the end of Kyle's reign and the beginning of a collective understanding that, in the end, honesty would always prevail over deception. In the aftermath of the unraveling, the school gradually came to terms with the stark reality of Kyle's true nature. The evidence, once hidden in the shadows, became a beacon of truth that could not be ignored. Whispers of disbelief turned into a collective acknowledgement, and the student body grappled with the revelation that one of their own had orchestrated such elaborate deception. Consequences cascaded upon Kyle like an inevitable tide. The friendships he had manipulated and the trust he had betrayed left indelible marks on his reputation. Teachers and students alike viewed him through a lens colored by the revelations, and the once charismatic figure found himself isolated in the very community he had sought to dominate. For me, the victory wasn't in Kyle's downfall but in the opportunity for growth and redemption. The path I had chosen, navigating the thin line between justice and revenge, had led to a profound lesson. Rather than reveling in the wreckage of Kyle's reputation, I extended a hand toward empathy and kindness. In a surprising turn, I offered Kyle a chance at redemption. I recognized that the weight of consequences could either break a person or become a catalyst for change. Guided by a newfound understanding, I encouraged Kyle to reflect on his actions and consider the impact they had on those around him. As Kyle faced the repercussions of his deception, I set out to rebuild not just my reputation but the connections that had been strained. The friends who had distanced themselves during the turmoil now witnessed a transformation rooted in resilience and compassion. Through genuine interactions and acts of kindness, I reclaimed the trust that had been eroded by Kyle's schemes. The school, scarred by the saga, emerged with a collective understanding that justice could coexist with compassion and that in the face of deception, the pursuit of understanding could be the ultimate redemption. While I feel like OP kind of looped back and forth a bunch of times with what happened, ultimately what happened here was a overall good thing for the school. Honestly, as much as OP wants to sell it, I'm not sure how many of those kids truly learned from this experience. I don't know if it's just where I went to school, but I feel like there's a lot of people where something like this would just go through one ear out the other and they would just be going with whatever is the current flow. This next story is my funny revenge story to my landlord's brother. The canvas that was before me held the echoes of my frustration, each chaotic stroke mirroring the absurdity that had become my life. My name is Sam, and I live in a world colored by the eccentricities of Mr. Grumblestein, my landlord, and his equally peculiar brother, Larry. You see, I'm not just a laid-back artist. I'm a laid-back artist thrust into a sitcom written by the cosmos, starring Larry as the comedic antagonist. You could say that the universe has this funny way of throwing people into some dark humor kind of environment. Mr. Grumblestein, a character in his own right, seemed oblivious to his brother's quirks. Larry, however, was an ongoing source of chaos, turning my daily routine into a carnival of the bizarre. And you have to believe that this is not me being unnecessarily paranoid or something. Larry's antics were relentless. Mismatched socks were the least of my worries. Imagine waking up to find your carefully arranged art supplies missing, 
only to discover Larry attempting to fashion avant-garde sculptures out of them, or worse, returning to your studio to find your serene masterpiece replaced with a chaotic mosaic of colors, compliments of Larry's interpretive dance routine. My brushes, laden with vibrant hues, became my coping mechanism. Amid the artistic turmoil, Larry's peculiarities transformed my life into a comedy of errors. It wasn't just a matter of annoyance, it was a full-scale assault on my pursuit of creative serenity. So, as I peered out of my studio window that day, contemplating the next move on my rebellious canvas, a sigh escaped my lips. Larry wasn't merely a quirk in my existence, he was the disruptive force, the unexpected twist in the storyline of my otherwise tranquil artist's life. But the part I didn't know at that point was that the whole drama between Larry and I would become something more, and would end up taking me down a path I could never have seen coming. It all started with a knock on my studio door, a rhythmic beat that interrupted the delicate dance of my paintbrush against the canvas. If you've seen Big Bang Theory, you should be familiar with the way Sheldon Cooper made his door knocking sounds. This was what I heard. It was always what I heard when Mr. Grumblestein was within earshot of my room, or another tenant's room, but rather than the three rap knocks, his was twice. Hearing his knocking sound, I reluctantly set my tools aside, expecting another round of complaints from Mr. Grumblestein about the volume of my music. To my surprise, it wasn't Mr. Grumblestein, but the main protagonist of my artistic nightmare, Larry. Larry stood there, his eyes wide with enthusiasm that matched his mismatched socks. Without waiting for an invitation, he breezed into my studio. I make no jokes when I say I could feel the tornado of energy that left chaos in its wake come in as he did. Before I could protest, Larry had laid claim to my heart supplies, muttering about an experiment that only he could comprehend. Sammy boy, I've got this brilliant idea for a masterpiece. I just need a few of your colorful thingamajigs. Trust me, you'll thank me later, Larry declared, his enthusiasm infectious in the worst possible way. In the blink of an eye, my precious brushes, tubes of paint, and even my prized sketchbooks vanished into the abyss of Larry's eccentric vision. With a parting wink, he left me dumbfounded in my own studio, wondering what artistic calamity he was about to unleash. Determined to salvage what remained of my creative sanctuary, I tracked Larry down, hoping that reason would pierce through the layers of his peculiar mind. Little did I know, attempting to reason with Larry was like trying to convince a cat that water is its friend, an exercise in futility. Larry, you've taken my art supplies. I need them back. You can't just walk in and hijack my studio whenever you please, I implored, trying my best to appeal to his sense of reason. Larry, however, interpreted my plea as an invitation to a philosophical debate on the interconnectedness of art and the universe. Each attempt to reclaim my belongings resulted in a new level of absurdity. At one point, he insisted that my brushes had whispered to him in a language only he could understand, revealing the true essence of artistic expression. Frustrated and defeated, I retreated to my studio, only to find a cryptic note slipped under my door. It hinted at a mysterious locked room in Larry's house, a room that held the key to understanding the madness that was a Larry Grumblestein. Intrigued and fueled by a mix of curiosity and desperation, I decided to act on what the note said of the madness, a locked door in the Grumblestein household. I mean, we were all mad, so why not just go ahead to be fully into it, right? 
Determined to unravel the mystery behind Larry's erratic behavior, I sought the assistance of Mabel, my quirky neighbor with a knack for picking locks. Mabel, a retiree with a penchant for adventure, was always up for a challenge. I and Mabel were not really friends. I knew she had issues with Larry, and to be honest, I just thought it was because he liked her or something of that nature. I still don't know what for certain was the deal with the both of them, but I knew that there was somewhat of a love-hate relationship between them. Love on Larry's side of the table, and hate on Mabel's. I laid out the bizarre incidents involving Larry, and she agreed to lend her lockpicking expertise to explore the enigmatic room. With Mabel by my side, we embarked on a covert mission into the heart of Larry's residence. The dimly lit hallway of the Grumblestein household felt like a set from a spy movie as we tiptoed toward the mysterious locked room. Mabel, with a sly grin, produced an impressive set of lockpicking tools ready to work her magic. The door creaked open, revealing a room shrouded in darkness. As we flicked on the light switch, the sight before us was anything but ordinary. The walls were adorned with an intricate tapestry of conspiracy theories and peculiar diagrams involving hamsters. Yes, you read that right, hamsters. Mabel and I exchanged puzzled glances, trying to make sense of the hamster-themed conspiracy murals. It was then that we stumbled upon the true revelation behind Larry's madness. Apparently, Larry harbored a secret obsession with both conspiracy theories and hamsters. The wall served as a canvas for his peculiar blend of imagination, connecting seemingly unrelated events with the whimsical world of hamster lore. As the pieces of the puzzle fell into place, we realized that Larry's bizarre behavior wasn't just random acts of eccentricity, it was a carefully orchestrated performance driven by a belief in hamster-led conspiracies and a desire to expose the truth to the world. Well, you can say it was the truth to Larry. Larry genuinely thought he was on a mission, and his hamster-themed diagrams were his way of unraveling the mysteries of the universe. Don't ask me how, I don't know, but I could read from his art the very thing he was trying to do. Armed with this newfound knowledge, Mabel and I hatched a plan to turn the tables on Larry in a way that only artists could comprehend. We decided to bring the details of Larry's eccentricities to the world through an unconventional art installation at the upcoming Neighborhood Art Festival. It was the perfect timing. Absolutely perfect. Our masterpiece would be a larger-than-life representation of Larry's conspiracy theories, complete with hamster motifs and abstract symbols. The art installation would be our canvas to showcase the brilliance of Larry's mind, or at least what he believed to be brilliance. Little did Larry know that his secret world of hamster conspiracies was about to take center stage in a grand spectacle that would leave the entire neighborhood in stitches. The night of the neighborhood art festival arrived, and the air buzzed with anticipation. Mabel and I had transformed our revenge plan into a larger-than-life art installation, an homage to Larry's conspiracy-laden world of hamsters. The centerpiece was a giant hamster wheel adorned with abstract symbols and illuminated by vibrant colors, capturing the essence of Larry's peculiar genius. As the first visitors strolled by, their eyes widened in a mix of confusion and amusement. The whispers of the crowd crescendoed into laughter as they tried to decipher the meaning behind our creation. Little did they know, the masterpiece they marveled at was the product of a comedic vendetta against the eccentric Larry Grumblestein. The moment of truth came when Larry himself ambled into the festival, his eyes widening as he laid sight on our creation. A broad smile spread across his face, and he approached with a triumphant swagger. Sammy boy, you've outdone yourself! 
This is genius, a true reflection of the interconnectedness of the hamster universe, Larry exclaimed. Oblivious to the fact that he was the unwitting star of the show, I exchanged a perplexed glance with Mabel as Larry continued to praise our installation. The plan was backfiring in the most unexpected way. Larry wasn't outraged, he was thrilled. The crowd, fueled by Larry's enthusiasm, joined in the applause, believing they were witnessing the unveiling of a misunderstood artistic genius. The local media, always on the lookout for the next big story, caught wind of the sensation. Reporters flocked to the art festival, eager to interview the mastermind behind the hamster-inspired masterpiece. I found myself thrust into the spotlight, awkwardly fueling questions about the deeper meaning behind the artwork. Larry, reveling in the newfound attention, played the part of the eccentric artist to perfection. He expounded on the symbolic significance of each hamster motif leaving the crowd in awe of his imaginative prowess. The media lapped it up, transforming our revenge plot into a heartwarming tale of artistic redemption. As the night progressed, Larry became the unwitting star of the festival. Art enthusiasts praised his visionary approach, and social media buzzed with hashtags celebrating hashtag Larry's hamster universe. The irony was palpable. The revenge plan meant to expose Larry's eccentricities had turned him into a local celebrity. I stood on the sidelines, a bewildered artist watching his revenge plot spiral into a hilariously unexpected success. The more I tried to correct the narrative, the more the crowd applauded Larry's eccentric brilliance. In the end, the joke was on me. Larry, blissfully ignorant of the true intent behind the art installation, basked in the admiration of the neighborhood. As the festival came to a close, I found myself wondering how a plan so meticulously crafted had taken such an unforeseen turn. The aftermath of the art festival brought a tidal wave of consequences I could never have anticipated. Larry's newfound popularity became the neighborhood's talk of the town. Residents embraced his eccentricity, leading to a series of absurd situations that bordered on the surreal. From impromptu hamster-themed parades to community-wide debates on the interconnectedness of the hamster universe, chaos ensued. As I navigated through the neighborhood, the once quiet streets now echoed with laughter, the hamster motifs plastered on walls and lampposts serving as a constant reminder of my unintentional contribution to the madness. Larry, now hailed as the eccentric genius of our community, reveled in the chaos, blissfully unaware of the comedic storm he had become. Torn between frustration and amusement, I couldn't escape the consequences of my revenge plan gone awry. Larry's antics continued to escalate, reaching absurd heights that left the neighborhood in stitches. It was during a particularly peculiar hamster-themed parade that I decided... I couldn't let this madness persist. Approaching Larry amid the parade's chaos, I tried to convey the true nature of the art installation. Larry, this wasn't meant to celebrate your hamster universe. It was supposed to expose your eccentricities, I exclaimed, hoping to break through the hamster-induced haze that enveloped him. To my surprise, Larry merely chuckled, dismissing my concerns with a wave of his hand. Sammy boy, you're too modest. This is a collaboration of artistic minds. Let's take it a step further. The next big thing awaits us, he declared, oblivious to my frustration. In disbelief, I watched as Larry outlined plans for an even grander spectacle, a fusion of hamster symbolism and avant-garde expression that left me questioning the very fabric of reality. Collaborate with Larry on the next big thing? Huh? The absurdity of the suggestion left me speechless. The whole story still leaves me speechless. 
I feel like OP was so very verbose with their story it almost left me speechless too getting through it. I must admit though, I do kind of love the idea of a whole group of people or even like a town getting totally behind these whole like hamster parade things. Just I hope they were playing hamster dance. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.